The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. Back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's uh, late, but uh, we're uh, we're gonna make it worth your while. I guarantee it. Uh, Genevieve, how are you doing over there? I'm doing quite all right. Yep, we we just had quite a great time, which we will reveal um, maybe next week. Yeah, maybe, maybe later on if we have time. We went to some see some quite amazing pictures at Mr. James Picard's exhibition. Yes, yes, and it was it was quite quite the event for sure to you know and and people want to check out the website wtrradio.com and they'll see a full write-up preview courtesy mm-hmm. of our very own Genevieve. Tonight we got a very very special guest. I'm I'm very excited to have him on the show. Uh, last week we had a guest who uh, unbeknownst to them they said, "Oh, you know if you if you ever want to get the real story, the real information you got to talk to somebody like Jim Mars. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> well, now just you so mentioned. happens that, yeah, tonight, tonight, we are graced with having Mr. Jim Mars on the show. Genevieve, I know that you have a, an introduction for our guest, if, if I'm not mistaken. We've got a introduction, a version of which, which you can find um, on JimMars.com. So for those who don't know the background, um, Mr. Mars is a native of Texas, earning his journalism degree at the University of North Texas in 1966, and also attending graduate school at Texas Tech in um, Lubbock um, for two years more. And, you know, he's got a, a background in journalism. He's always been writing. We know that much. Um, in 2007, he retired from the University of Texas, um, where he had taught a course on the Kennedy assassination since nice. 1976. That's a long time. Um, in 89, his book Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy, was published to critical acclaim, as many of us know, and in fact reached a New York Times paperback nonfiction bestseller list. As some of you may also know, and... You've probably all seen the movie. Um, it became the basis for Oliver Stone's film JFK. Um, and Mr. Mars actually served as a chief consultant for both the film's screenplay and production. Nice. Um, beginning in 1992, he spent three years researching and completing a nonfiction book on top secret government program involving the psychic phenomenon known as remote viewing only to have it mysteriously cancelled as it was going to press in the summer of 95. Within two months, the story of military-developed remote viewing broke nationally in the Washington Post after the CIA revealed the program, but put their own spin on psychic studies. Psy Spies, which is a great title, um, that's uh, PSI, I believe, was finally published by New Page Books in 2007. In 97, Mars' in-depth investigation of UFOs, Alien and Gender, um, was published by HarperCollins Publishers and has been translated into several foreign languages since, becoming a top-selling non-fiction UFO book in the world. He began teaching a course on UFOs at the University of Texas at Arlington back in 2000. 
Also in 2000, HarperCollins published Rule by Secrecy, which traced the hidden history that connects modern secret societies to ancient mysteries. It too reached the New York Times bestseller list. Surprise, surprise. And in 2003, his book The War on Freedom probed the conspiracies of the 9-11 attacks and their aftermath. It was released in 2006 under the title The Terror Conspiracy. Two years later, his book The Rise of the Fourth Reich, Reich in German, <laughs> detailing the infiltration of National Socialism into the USA, um, was published, followed by a study of mysteries entitled Above Top Secret. His 2010 book on the New World Order's destruction of America, titled The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, was followed um, in 2000 by 13 bar by Our Occulted History, which questioned the humanity of the ruling elite. Don't we all? Um, an award-winning journalist, Mr. Mars is listed both in Who's Who in the World and Who's Who in America. He nice. has won several writing photography awards, including the Aviation Aerospace Writers Association's National Writing Award and Newsmaker of the Year Award from the Fort Worth chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. In 1993, Mr. Mars received Freedom Magazine's Human Rights leadership award wow wow it, wow if i could even <clears throat> achieve a quarter of that in my life <laughs> i'd be happy so here we welcome jim miles onto the show <laughs> hello jim can you hear us okay howdy folks i can hear you just fine and boy what a build-up i got i wish i could meet that guy <laughs> <laughs> well let me tell i'm pretty I, I i it's it's amazing i mean that that is a long list of accomplishments and well, well deserved I've been at it a long time <laughs> all that means is that i've been at it for a long time <laughs> nonetheless nonetheless uh, other people i haven't achieved a fraction of that in a lifetime mr uh, jim mars or jim thank you so much for being on the show uh like i said we're really excited to have you on you you know you have written books and researched some really really incredible topics of discussion well i've always i've always been curious okay mm -hmm. and uh as i like to say when i was working as a newspaper reporter uh i was on the third floor of a building uh, at this uh, the uh, metropolitan newspaper and if somebody had run in and run up to to the desk around where i was and said hey a ufo just landed in the park across the street and then ran out the other reporters would say boy that guy was a nut and they'd go back to doing what they were doing mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. i'd at least get up and go look out the window you know <laughs> if not walk down to the park and let me ask you something i've always wanted to know what's what's the truth what's really mm -hmm. going on and what's amazing or it's not amazing but it's kind of ironic is that that's actually is what i learned in um, journalism school mm -hmm. back in the early 60s and in the in the late 50s uh, back in the days of the old republic Mm -hmm. uh, and I was told that I was supposed to look past the official pronouncements, past the official uh, party line, and try to find out the truth about what really was going on and present that uh, to my audience. And the uh, fool that I was, I thought that's really what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because that's actually, that was, uh, my question was uh, kind of along those lines. You have been a journalist for so long, uh, you know, some incredible historical events have happened you know in, in the last 50 60 years during my lifetime yeah <laughs> i've been right there watching them happen so this is my my first question to you is what is your opinion of um how the the, the media has handled things like jfk and 9 11 you know these kind of huge national tragedies which you mm -hmm. you focus your books on as a journalist, how, how do you rate the media in, in these great moments of uh, crisis? Well, 
put it bluntly, I'm ashamed of my profession. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, frankly speaking, there is no objective news media in this country uh, today. There are only corporate advertising delivery systems. Mm. Right. And if you happen to get a little truth in, in, into the mix, just so much the better for you. True. Yeah, yeah. Uh, today, uh, well, let me put it this way. Everything you see and hear, and I'm not just talking about news programs or newspapers uh, or radio or TV stations. I'm talking about channels. I'm talking about uh, satellite. Uh, I'm talking about billboards. I'm talking about mm -hmm. ma magazines, movies, uh, TV shows, networks, mm -hmm. uh, book clubs. It's all under the control of five multinational corporations hmm. that have interlocking ownership and board members, which means only a handful of people control everything that you see and hear. Wow. Um, Except, of course, for folks like you <laughs> and occasional, you know, uh, loose cannons. Right. Like me, you know, but uh, let's face it, we're not reaching, you know, we're not, we, you're not Oprah. <laughs> you know, right, reach right. the, the the masses. You know, right. And in fact, that that's uh, Frank. That's what it comes down to. That's why today you never hear a national politician talk about the republic because we hmm. don't have a republic anymore. Okay. Wow. All they can talk about is democracy. Democracy. We gotta we gotta go to the Middle East and bomb those people until they accept democracy. Right. You know. Mm -hmm. And all right. The dictionary definition of democracy is rule by the majority. Okay, well, that sounds real good on paper until you stop to consider that the perfect example of true democracy in action is a lynch mob. Okay, <laughs> and we don't right. want that. Nobody wants that. And our forefathers did not give us that. Our forefathers gave us a democratic republic. And what's the difference? Well, in a democratic republic, even though the majority say lynching, yeah, there is a system of checks and balances and laws and uh, procedures, and you have to give a person a fair trial. They mm -hmm. have a right to legal representation. <clears throat> they have a right to, to confront their accusers and the evidence against them. And if they are tried by a jury of their peers and found guilty, and maybe they even get an appeal, and if they're found guilty and the appeal fails, mm -hmm. then you can lynch them. Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, that's what mm -hmm. we were supposed to have, but we we no longer have that. In fact, it, I I I barely recognize the uh, country that I grew up in because wow. today people can be arrested without cause. The habeas corpus out the window if you're declared a potential terrorist. You know, a, a kid takes a pop gun to school or a, mm -hmm. or a realistic looking water gun. You know, he's socked away as a potential terrorist. Mm -hmm. He's out of school. His life's probably ruined. He's probably turned in, ends up on a no-fly list from Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we are, I used to, I used to complain and saying that we were moving into a police state, but uh, I'm not going to do that with you guys tonight because I'm here to tell you we're already in one. <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash, right? In case, in case uh, people haven't noticed. Yeah, in case you hadn't figured it out. For right. Jim, where, man, where where did we go wrong as, as a country? Because to me, it seems, and I wasn't around back then, but it seems that the 60s was a very pivotal point, right? We we had, yeah, I mean, they, they, they murdered yeah. Kennedy, but, you know, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X. Is that right. where this country went wrong? And it's the reason well, why we find it, it, you know, ourselves in this situation been, now. Yeah, there's always been corruption. Uh, mm -hmm. You go back and look at the, 
the uh, some of the corruption that took place during the war between the states. You look at the uh, rise of the robber barons mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the uh, late 1800s, and and the, and the Teapot Dome or the 20s. There's always been some corruption, some criminal enterprises. Mm-hmm. They really got going, of course, during alcohol prohibition. That's when right. organized crime really built into a national syndicate that we still have with us today. And mm-hmm. Of course, it only took our great-grandmothers and grandfathers uh, just about 13 years to figure out that a constitutional amendment and, and, and laws mm-hmm. against alcohol not only were not working, but were creating a worse problem mm-hmm. than the alcohol. And they actually not only did away with the laws, but they did away and changed the constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've been under drug prohibition yeah. for about 75 or 80 years now. And right. we still hadn't figured out that trying to put people, more people in jail is not the answer, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it, it, and then by the 60s, yes, it got turbulent because people were beginning to wise up mm-hmm. and they were beginning to start thinking along other lines. And that's when we got John F. Kennedy, the youngest man whoever served as president, mm-hmm. uh, the, mo- the probably the best educated president we ever had, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a president whose grandfather was a poor Irish immigrant. He was not part of the wealthy establishment mm-hmm. that uh, was controlling or trying to control this country. And uh, you, first you have to understand that as a Texan at the time, I was told that he was a Catholic and he was probably pro-communist, and we didn't like him much down here, although I had nothing personally against him. But I now realize that he was doing things that at least he truly believed was in the best interest of the people of this country. And uh, it got him killed. And uh, the reason that uh, someone can murder the president of the United States and and 52 years later, nobody has clearly established what exactly happened uh, should tell any thinking person that this was a coup d'etat. Right. This was a coup that took place in the United States. In fact, uh, John J. McCloy, a very powerful Wall Street uh, attorney and, and political master uh, who served on the Warren Commission, mm-hmm. uh, it's right there in the records. He said the thing, we, uh, the paramount thing is we must show the world that America is not just a banana republic where the government can be changed by conspiracy. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's what they set out to do. That was their mission, not to find the truth. But the truth is, is that we are just another banana republic, and it was changed, our government was changed mm-hmm. by the gunfire in Dealey Plaza in November of 1963. And since then, it's just continued to slide downhill because mm-hmm. the people who have so much to gain and the people who want to maintain control mm-hmm. are still in control, and a great many other people uh, are, uh, have, been, have just sank into denial and don't want to face the truth of the situation. In 1989, your book came out, Crossfire, The Plot to Kill Kennedy. And like we mentioned during the intro, it was the basis for the uh, Oliver Stone film, JFK. Can you take us back? uh, Can you tell me what was Jim Mars doing on that day, November 22nd, 1963? Well, I hate to admit it because he was shot at 1230 in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. right afternoon, 1230. uh, And I was asleep. Really? I had uh, I was in the university. I mm-hmm. was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. I was already on a degree plan for journalism. I'd, I had already been working at uh, I'd been a junior achievement program for Star Telegram for a couple of years, and I was working part time 
uh, as a student for the Denton Record Chronicle. So I was already mm-hmm. working professionally in news work. And uh, I had had a big, I was on a Friday, and I had a big English test that morning. And so I had, as was my want, you know, I played around until the night before and then mm-hmm. stayed up all night cramming for this test, right? I'm sure right. that sounds familiar to some yep. of you. And uh, so I came back to my apartment about 11 o'clock the next morning after taking the test, and uh, I just fell in my bed and went to sleep. And mm-hmm. uh, about 12.45, it couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 minutes after the actual shooting, my roommate rushed in and said, wake up, said, uh, somebody shot Kendi. And mm-hmm. uh, I was an old redneck Texan, and I just said, well, good. You know, <laughs> he said, no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it, I, and I appreciate your candor. I mean, uh, yeah. I'm being honest. I'm yeah. just honest about the whole thing. And then he said, no, I'm serious. It really happened. And I said, what? And I jumped up, and we turned on this cruddy little TV we had that was a 50s model. Mm-hmm. It stood about about four foot high and had a little screen on it. It was probably about three or four inches. <laughs> uh, it, very similar to those early computer monochrome right. screens. And <clears throat> we started watching the coverage uh, that was being broadcast from Dallas because I was at school in Denton, which is just 30 miles north and uh and i know i've been watching tv for at least 15 minutes or more mm-hmm. and when they finally came on and they said okay it's official the president's dead mm-hmm. well they made that announcement shortly after 1 uh, p.m so that means that see i was actually watching what was going on and paying attention uh from about 10 or 15 minutes uh, after the shooting wow and then i went around gathered up all the newspapers and special editions mm-hmm. and uh i just uh I knew this was a huge story. It happened right there in my backyard. I already knew I'd been, I had roommates from Dallas who would take me in there and we would go clubbing and we'd go <laughs> running around. I knew how Dallas operated. In fact, I had met Jack Ruby. In fact, in fact I have a, no a way. picture of me as a college kid dancing on the stage of Jack Ruby's Conley Club. Really? Uh, Carousel Club. Wow. Yeah, that was, taken, that was taken a month before anybody knew Jack Ruby's. Wow. Club. You know, so wow. I've been kind of on it from the get-go, uh, and I began to, and then by uh, within by 1968, I, I was out of uh, college, and mm-hmm. I had done two years of graduate work at uh, Lubbock, Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, I came back and went to work for the Star-Telegram as a police reporter, which sent me over to Dallas on many times for mm-hmm. assignments, so I got to know the law enforcement people and city officials in Dallas-Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And it became very clear to me as a young shaved-tailed reporter that everything that could be said about the Kennedy assassination had not been said. Mm. In fact, there, you know, I'd go mm-hmm. and try to talk to these old veteran cigar-chomping detectives and police officials. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd get my story, and then I'd say, by the way, what can you tell me about the Kennedy assassination? And, man, they'd turn white and almost crawl under their desk. Oh, wow. And it, it was obvious that uh, there was a palatable aura of fear running oh, around wow. in Dallas. And, and, of course, even then I thought, well, now, wait a minute. It was just one lone nut, and then it, it's a happenstance of history. Why is everybody so afraid? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. now I know, okay? And we all know because, we, or you should know, yeah. that this was a coup. Right, right. And I want to... To and uh, and thank you for for kind of giving us an, an insight because that I've always wondered about that. What was the the energy like? What was the environment like? You know, after well, let, me, let me just let me just tell you about Dallas in 1963. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I know again because I was old enough to to be there, but I wasn't old enough to be involved in right. all the stuff. Right. 
All right, first off, Texas then and now is usually about five or ten years behind the rest of the country. <laughs> so actually Dallas in 1963 was probably more like 1958, you know, oh, wow. okay. 63. Uh, the public uh, buildings still had white and colored oh, wow. and water fountains. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Segregation was still very much in effect. Um, the Dallas police were, for the most part, uh, military veterans. Mm-hmm. A lot of them had served in World War II and a lot of them in Korea. Mm-hmm. And then to augment their puny police salary, a lot of them were still in these military reserve units mm-hmm. making extra money. But then what that means is they were still under military control. If their military commanders would mm-hmm. have told them to do something or not to do something mm-hmm. or to shut up, they would have obeyed, okay? Right, right. Um, uh, there was no organized crime as we understand it today, even though that uh, uh, Sam Giancana in Chicago and Carlos Marcello in New Orleans were trying to make inroads into Texas at that time. Hmm. But Texas had their own homegrown gamblers and, and uh, uh, dealers and prostitution right. drugs. And what we now know and what was came out in court papers was that uh, one of the national leaders uh, or big-time senators from uh, Texas that was being taken, given regular payoffs by, organizing by this Texas organized crime was Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh, wow. Uh, oil and gas then and now mm-hmm. ran the state. Defense was huge, okay? Mm-hmm. And they all were looking forward to the Vietnam War because uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area industries such as uh, uh, Convair uh, and uh, General Dynamics and Bell Helicopter and Ling Timco Vault and Texas Instruments, they all mm-hmm. got rich off the Vietnam War. Wow. And, of course, the man who pushed the war through was Lyndon Johnson. Of course. Uh, the man who was going to stop that war was John F. Kennedy, and that's probably one of the keys to what actually happened. In on October the 11th, 1963, Kenny issued a National Security Action Memorandum in which he said he agreed with the McNamara report that said we could withdraw all our military people from South Vietnam by the end of 1965. And then he added, he said, make no public announcement, but begin the withdrawal of 1,000 uh, military advisors. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. And then the Monday after the Friday assassination, Lyndon Johnson issued a National Security Action Memorandum, which he said, our objectives in Vietnam remain the same, but we are not going to drop military assistance past that of the DM uh, government, which meant October the 1st, which stopped the pullout order, and then ordered military plans to be drawn up against North Vietnam and Laos, and uh, mentioned uh, plausible deniability. How can we deny that we're really planning to do all this? And here's the real clincher, Frank. Mm-hmm. This National Security Action Memorandum that was put out by Johnson mm-hmm. uh, just two days after the assassination, the rough draft was actually written the day before the assassination. Oh, wow. Which oh, means wow. somebody knew Kennedy wasn't going wow. to be there. <laughs> Unbelievable. That yeah, is really unbelievable. Wild. No, it really, yeah. it really is. Now, Kennedy, I believe he was our last great president, really. It seemed like... Well, you know, I'm sure he had his problems. Oh, absolutely. Sure there were a lot of people can argue about things he was doing, 
Apparently, he had a, a weakness for uh, good-looking women, as most right. men do. Right. But as far as I know, that, that hadn't qualified anybody else for much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe the priesthood. Right. I think of it, and didn't even stop them. <laughs> but I know that a lot of people were concerned about Kennedy becoming president because he was a Catholic, and a lot of people were saying, oh, we don't want the Pope, you know, in our business or whatever. That, and I can guarantee you that's true because really brought up in a in a Baptist church, and and I can remember the preacher saying that if you vote for Kennedy, the Pope will be running. Wow, wow! But, but Kennedy, to his credit, mm -hmm. uh, pretty well put a put a stop to that. He there was a meeting of uh, national pastors uh, in Houston, and he attended, and he got up and told them, and you know, he addressed that very thing, and he said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I like to be devout in my religion, but I'm not going to allow anybody to tell me what to do as president. Mm. And it really kind of softened that criticism. Right. I can see that. And there's no evidence that there was anybody other than his own family that had any right. real uh, uh, control over him. In uh, fact, that, that was the whole problem right there. Here's another thing see, mm -hmm. you probably hadn't thought of. Uh, the mafia actually helped him get elected, uh, thanks to his father, Joe Kennedy, uh, who had mm -hmm. been working all the way back in the 30s and 20s as a, as a uh, running alcohol and mixed up with with uh, organized crime mm -hmm. figures okay so he made a he made a deal not not john kennedy but his father made a deal and there was some mob influence in chicago and mm -hmm. west virginia and yes even in texas that swung the election for john kennedy in 1960. wow it was the closest election ever in american history wow and he just barely got in that's and because the favorite was richard nixon okay? right But Kennedy upset him, thanks mostly to this mob uh, involvement. And so what happened was is that when he started, he and his brother, Robert Kennedy, as attorney general, mm -hmm. started moving against the mob, you know, that really angered them because, right. you know. They it, put him in it, office it, pretty it, much, right? Yeah, well, mm -hmm. you know. Well, it, they helped. From the mob standpoint, <laughs> if, if you're a crusader and you're after them, they don't like that, but mm -hmm. that, that's your job, and they understand that's how the game's played. Mm -hmm. But if you accept their favors and they do things for you, mm -hmm. and then you turn on them, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. well, then uh, that's the double cross. Right. That'll get you killed every time. And uh, But even then, I think that they probably thought, well, it's okay. Joe can control him. Mm -hmm. But see what nobody uh, pays attention to is that in the late fall of 1962, his father, Joe Kennedy, had a stroke. And he didn't die, and that's why there wasn't any big news coverage about it. But he, he became a vegetable. He had no, and so they lost oh, wow. control over Kennedy. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, so wow. now Kennedy starts passing these laws, mm -hmm. closing tax loopholes for the mm -hmm. multinational corporations, talking about doing away with the oil depletion allowance, which would undercut the profits of the Texas oil mm -hmm. men, and prosecuting organized crime figures. So he, by the fall of 63, he and his brother Bobby had managed to anger every violent faction in this country. Oh, boy. And they were all connected. I have one question. Uh, see, for, 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 let me explain this to yeah. you. Yeah, go ahead. For years... They kept the researchers of the Kennedy assassination off balance because they were all fighting with each other over, was it the mob? Mm -hmm. Was it the anti-Castro Cubans? Mm -hmm. Was it the FBI? Was it the military? Was it the CIA? You know, mm -hmm. and the answer is yes. <laughs> wow. All of those. 
Because, and where do we find that? In Operation Mongoose, mm-hmm. which was the secret war against Castro. And it was headed by General uh, Ed, Edward Lansdale, who was known as the Ugly American because, in fact, they made a movie about him. Uh, because he was so proficient at uh, overthrowing governments all around the world. Oh, wow. And he was in charge of Mongoose out of uh, Miami. Mm-hmm. And in Mongoose involved assassination teams that included mafia hitmen, CIA agents. Wow. The FBI was involved. The military was involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so there they all are. And they just sent their hit teams to Dallas. I wanted to ask you, is it true that, you know, a lot of people said that Kennedy was soft on communism was that no, he wasn't necessarily soft on communism but he was working with now this is not largely known but it's I, this is not conspiracy theory this is documented historical fact mm-hmm. he was working with nikita khrushchev to bring peace to the world and mm-hmm. end the cold war wow and see what a lot of people don't understand is it was only a few months after kennedy was killed that khrushchev was kicked out of office mm-hmm. and kind of disappeared yeah. And the, the the war faction got rid of both of them. Wow. One of the things that I found interesting was that reading a bit about JFK, it seemed like one of his goals was to um, kind of do away with the CIA to some extent. Um, oh, that's true. What after was what was pigs, the purpose? What was his reasoning? Well, after the Bay of Pigs, when he realized that the CIA had mounted a whole military operation involving the invasion of another sovereign country, he realized how out of control it had become. And he was quoted in the New York Times as saying he was going to uh, uh, break the uh, splinter of the CIA into a thousand pieces and cast it to the wind. (laughs) But, of course, he didn't have the political clout Mm -hmm. to do that uh, in 1963. And in 64, that would have been a real um, issue uh, in the 64 election. So he probably apparently was planning to do that after he won re-election in 1964. But, of course, that never happened. Right, right. My next question has to do with uh, Fidel Castro. I mean, it's, it was no secret that there was no love for uh, Fidel um, in the 60s and really for the subsequent uh, decades. But um, I've always felt that if they wanted him dead, he would have been dead a long time ago. In your research for your books and your work, have you found any kind of evidence that shows that Castro was some kind of CIA asset or something? I mean, I've read things, for, well, everything that's, from that's cutting it. a deal, you know, turning in Che Guevara to the CIA to some more outlandish theories out there. But what do you know about that? Is there any any truth to, to those well, rumors? Well, it's historic, it's historic fact that the CIA was playing both sides of the streets prior to the takeover mm. of Castro. They were supplying, we were overtly selling guns and ammunition and, and uh, information to uh, Batista, the uh, military yeah. dictator yeah, yeah. here in Cuba. Uh, but at the same time, we were uh, supplying arms and ammunition to Castro. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a typical mafia uh, corporate type thing where mm-hmm. they grease both ends of the spectrum, right. you know, so that no matter who wins, they, they will have plenty of control. And so then when Castro actually won because he had the support of the people, mm-hmm. um, they, uh, you know, they were all ready to deal with him, but uh, he threw the mafia off the island. Wow. And he nationalized some of the, like, United Fruit property. And uh, said this, and he nationalized some of the banks. He said, you know, these are, this is for Cubans, for Cubans. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that didn't sit well with the mafia in Wall Street, so immediately he was branded a communist. Wow. And they immediately uh, uh, invoked an embargo of Cuba, which actually technically is still in effect right. uh, today, except for one interesting uh, exception. There was a caveat that accepted the White House uh, for Cuban cigars. You can always, <laughs> always on, you can always get a Havana cigar in the White House. But the rest of us couldn't get it. Wow. I know. That's how priorities, right? Work. Priorities. Priorities. And, of course, <laughs> of course, then that, you know, I, uh, Cuba is an island nation and mm-hmm. totally dependent on imports for, mm-hmm. for just about everything. And so by embargoing them, it left the Cubans with uh, two choices. They could dry up and blow away or they mm-hmm. could uh, turn to whoever would deal with them and who dealt with them was Russia. And, of course, that was a self-fulfilling prophecy right. because then the hawk said, see, we told you he's a communist. <laughs> it's just wow. amazing. You know? It but, really uh, is. I, let me tell you, I think your question was, you know, since we had the mafia, the military, CIA, mm-hmm. and they're all working trying to kill Castro, how is it that he's still alive? Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let me back, let's back up. Let's go to World War II. Okay. You know, I think if there's anybody you can make a, a legitimate argument, probably needed killing early on, it would have been Adolf Hitler, right? <laughs> well, right. there was about two dozen attempts on, on Hitler's life, wow. including the well-known general's plot of July 1944, okay? And right. yet he lived all through the war. In fact, there's some pretty good information. He survived the war, but yeah. we won't go there. And... Uh, and how did that? So how did Hitler and how did Castro survive? Well, it's because they were surrounded by loyalists, by people mm. loyal to them. And it was difficult or impossible, actually, to get to them to try to kill them. All right. Now, that should tell you something about the Kennedy assassination. Uh, as you probably well know, his Secret Service agents were drinking heavily at the Cellar Club in Fort Worth until 5 o'clock in the morning of the morning of his assassination. When the shooting started, they were just kind of looking around like, what was that? They did not respond. They made a 120-degree turn without any uh, security forces mm-hmm. at that turn, which is a violation of Secret Service regulations. <laughs> Drinking while on a tour was against Secret Service regulations. Right. I mean, you know, uh, there were people standing on the triple underpass, which was against Secret Service regulations. Mm-hmm. In, in Dallas, his Secret Service agents, who normally rode on the rear of his car, were ordered off. So, in other words, the normal security for Kennedy was pulled away at the last minute. That should tell you something. And, man, I'm going to pace myself here because, obviously, this just – conjures up uh, so many questions but first well, you, you only have yourself to blame you asked me <laughs> <laughs> i know right <laughs> but uh, uh, you ask me i'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> but uh let me ask you this uh it seems like the you know our government and it's unfortunate to say it seems like they do that a lot play both sides we saw it with castro we saw it in the iran contra scandal most recently operation uh gun runner i believe or fast and the furious you know with the drug cartels and shipping guns right, and trying to track them down. why are we still doing this when it seems like it really is not a very effective tactic well because we're not a democratic republic anymore. <laughs> we're an empire, and the the, uh, the imperial leaders uh, feel like they can do whatever they want to do. Uh, let's look at our latest two enemies: uh, first, Al Qaeda, right, and second, now ISIS. 
Mm-hmm. They're both creations of our government, okay? And th- and that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just conspiracy fact. <laughs> September the 13th, 2013, yeah. go look it up. President yeah. Obama said he's going to uh, suspend the law that says we cannot sell arms to known terrorist groups because he wanted to arm the Syrian rebels. Mm-hmm. He said so. Well, we did, and they immediately became ISIS <laughs> and started beheading everybody Jeez. and taking over Iraq and Syria and everywhere else they get hold of. Uh, you know, uh, the fact is we have the best country, the best enemies that money can buy. <laughs> I love that. We have the best enemies that money can buy. True. Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda started off as the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, uh, during the 1930s and 40s, was a Nazi-run organization. Oh, wow. All right? And then after the war, the British picked them up and took them prisoner and took control over them. And then when they got pushed out of the Middle East, when uh, Egypt's Nasser sank ships in the Suez Canal back in the early 50s, then uh, uh, they passed uh, the Muslim Brotherhood on to the CIA. CIA then in the 80s when the uh, Soviets invaded Afghanistan, mm-hmm. they wanted to send the Muslim Brotherhood in to act as our proxies and fight the Soviet invasion, but they didn't want to risk World War III, so they didn't want to be able to trace back to the United States, so they sent the Muslim Brotherhood in, but they didn't want to call them the Muslim Brotherhood because everybody knew we controlled the Muslim Brotherhood, mm-hmm. so they changed the name to Al-Qaeda, okay? And so, wow. uh, in fact... Uh, Osama bin Laden, under the name Tim Osman, came to this country uh, in the early 80s, and we briefed him and gave him money and training and arms and sent him back to uh, head up al-Qaeda and fight the, the Soviets in Afghanistan. And that, again, is not conspiracy th- uh, theory. That's conspiracy fact. I even have interviewed an FBI agent who was present at that meeting. It is unbelievable. It, 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 I'm a bit speechless because it's hard to believe that this is what goes on behind the scenes that people are just not aware of and well it's especially it's especially hard to believe when when you and it's not just you it's everybody me too everybody mm-hmm. everybody is in the thrall of the electronic matrix okay mm-hmm. we watch tv mm-hmm. and tv's under total control mm-hmm. and and if you watch tv and read the local newspaper and listen to the local radio mm-hmm. stations that are probably all part of the, the same five corporations mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you have a view of the world uh that is not necessarily based on the truth and when you hear the truth it sounds like it's easy to blow it off as conspiracy theory because it's not what you hear uh in the corporate control mass media but that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't mean it's not true so the phrase uh, history is written by the victors comes exactly. to mind, you know, yeah. when we talk about this kind of things. Real quick, I'm going to backtrack because I, I was reading that you were teaching a course on the Kennedy assassination since 1976 at the University of uh, Texas at Arlington. How do you go about teaching about the assassination of, of one of our presidents? What were some of the things that you cover? And how did you feel the students were receptive to the information? Okay. Well, it's real simple. Uh, first off, um, if, if, if I, can, I can prove this because I was writing for the Star-Telegram at the time, mm-hmm. and I have a front-page story that ran when they first announced. This was 1975, I believe, and they announced that uh, they were uh, going to convene a new assassination 
committee in, uh, in Congress to mm-hmm. study the assassinations, mm-hmm. which turned into the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a whole front-page story that kicked over to a full page of information, and the lead said if they'll do their homework, they'll find this information, which will show that uh, there was a coup d'etat in 1963. Mm-hmm. And they actually ran it in the paper because it was the same information that I've just been telling you. Uh, and it was backed up. It was supported, documented. It wasn't theory. It mm-hmm. wasn't just somebody saying something. It was the facts. The problem with the Kennedy assassination is, with the exception maybe of Oliver Stone's movie, and mm-hmm. even then it was a movie, so, you know, you can, it's easy to say, well, it's just a movie. Right. Blow it off. Uh, in fact, Oliver Stone, one of the first things he ever said to me was, I want you to understand, I'm making a movie. I'm not making a documentary. Okay. Mm. So that was easy enough to discard, but with the exception of the Oliver Stone movie and some odd articles here and there and a wealth of information you find on the Internet, Mm -hmm. the major media, corporate media in this country still has not outlined the pertinent facts of the Kennedy assassination. The fact that the Secret Service (laughs) fell down the job, Mm -hmm. that they violated their own regulations in and out, that there were multiple shooters, that there was a cover-up that witnesses were intimidated, evidence was fabricated, evidence was hidden away, destroyed, you know, and all of this is provable. But the mass media, for whatever reason, will not deal with it. Wow. And I guess it's basically what it comes down to. It's the story of uh, uh, the emperor having no clothes on. <laughs> Nobody wants to be the one to stand up and right. say he doesn't have any clothes on. Wow. But I'm a little boy. I'll tell you, hey, the emperor had got any clothes on. <laughs> Uh, now, Jim, obviously, like as we mentioned earlier, you were a chief consultant to Oliver Stone during the uh, filming of JFK. How did you think his film stands up? Well, let me back up and tell you the experience I had with his film. Um, oh, yeah, what's the name of it? Platoon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was uh, about a, uh, a platoon of U.S. infantrymen mm-hmm. in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay, when Platoon came out, I went to see it with a good buddy of mine who just happened to be a marine combat veteran of vietnam mm-hmm. and as we came out of the movie i said okay larry what do you think you know was he telling the truth and he started off going oh no no he said there's no way that all of that you know fragging officers and dope smoking and doing this and that and there's no way all that could have happened in that one platoon i said wait a minute wait a minute i said you got to understand he's making a movie mm-hmm. and he's only got an hour and a half two hours to tell his story you know so he consolidated a lot of stuff and, 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 and a lot of information. Mm-hmm. He went, oh, okay, I got it. I said, now, was it truthful? And he went, oh, well, hell yeah. And he started telling me all his old stories about fragging officers and smoking dope and everything wow. else that was going on <laughs> in Vietnam. So the point being that mm-hmm. in platoon, uh, Stone told the absolute truth about the combat experience in Vietnam, but through a fictional account of a fictional platoon. Right. Okay? right. In JFK, uh, he consolidated some characters, and he compressed some time, mm-hmm. and he made it into a dramatic presentation. But I'm here to tell you, it was closer to the tr- absolute truth than anything else we've gotten so far. Oh, wow. And in fact, wow. in fact, I'll put it this way. Uh, I was paid a pretty good piece of change mm-hmm. for the rights to my book and for my uh, consultation and help in that movie. Mm-hmm. But I already had made my money. And I was fully prepared. As you can see, I'm not hesitant about speaking my mind. All right. And 
uh, I was fully prepared to repudiate that film if I thought that they had gotten away from the truth as I knew it. But here's what's interesting. They didn't just take my book or Jim Garrison's book Mm -hmm. and run with it. Mm -hmm. They had their own investigative staff headed by a very brilliant lady named Jane Rusconi, Mm -hmm. and they backtracked on my book. They also talked to some of the same witnesses I'd talked to. They looked at the same documents I'd looked at, and they looked at the evidence I'd looked at, and they came to the same conclusion. So wow. I have I have uh, n- no gripes whatsoever uh, with the truth as presented in the film JFK. That's great to hear because I'm actually I quite enjoyed the movie. I thought it was it, it was very well done. But obviously I wanted to check with you and make sure that it had your thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you're allowed to like exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Now when you were when you were researching for your book Crossfire: The Plot That Killed Kennedy, did you? I mean, it seems like there were some very dangerous people orbiting around this whole. Uh, oh uh, yeah, that's true. That's did true. you encounter? I, I mean, I remember meeting one night with uh-huh. a, with an old associate of Jack Ruby's. Oh boy, thug. Okay. Oh <laughs> and boy. He, he, uh, yeah, and we had a few drinks, and he got mm-hmm. to really talking and, and told some really interesting stuff. And then at the end of it, he says, "If you get my name brought into this, I'll kill you." <laughs> oh, oh, <wow. laughs> and I mean, this that that wasn't one of these. Light little, uh, hey man, I'm going to kill you. You know what I mean? Right, right. He, he was an okay. And I think he meant it. Uh, but, and I had to explain to him, I said, well, wait a minute. You, you, really, made, you really made a faux pas here. I said, when you're talking to a reporter, mm-hmm. you have to start off saying, can I speak to you off the record? And you got to get the <laughs> reporter to agree to go off the record. And if I agree to go off the record, then I will protect your anonymity. Right. And I will never reveal my source, you know. Uh-huh. But you can't tell me all this stuff and then tell me don't shoot me, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, no, because, I mean, that that's one of the things that I was thinking about that you were writing about something that yeah I had some very dangerous people involved well and- no dangerous but just you know there's just some things were just so totally cockamamie I, I remember reading an FBI document about uh, oh god it's the names I'm getting a blank on their names right now but there was a man and woman who rushed into Dealey Plaza after hearing the shooting and then saw these bullet marks on the uh, street uh, across on on the mm-hmm. south side of Elm Street, and uh, uh, they went to the FBI, and the FBI questioned them and typed up a big report. So I'm reading the report, and it said, uh, I, and so I just happened to look them up. They were still living in Dallas. So I called them up and talked to the lady, and mm-hmm. I said, you know, and got her a firsthand account of it, and she was telling me, I said, well, you know, have you ever read your FBI uh, statement? She said, well, no. So I figured it's the FBI. What are they going to do, lie? You know, I mm-hmm. said, well. I don't know. I said, let me read it to you. And I read it to her, and everything was fine until we got to the point to where she's, they, she, both she and her husband said that these uh, bullet marks in the grass mm-hmm. uh, lined up with the grassy knoll. Mm-hmm. And the report said that they said and they lined up with the school book depository. And when I read that, she said, wait a minute. That's not what I told them. Oh, wow. And so right there I find, you know, the FBI lied about uh, on this document. Oh, wow. And that's what you have to understand. That's what's caused all the uh, controversy over the Kennedy assassination is because the vast gap between what the official story says and what people who know what they're talking about say. Now, let me ask you about this particular 
character that I've read about, haven't heard a whole lot, and maybe you can give me some information. She was nicknamed the Babushka Lady, and she was standing uh, there with a camera, and by her position, people, you know, uh, believe that she may have captured a, a shot that would be, uh, you know, obviously important in trying to figure out right. who shot Kennedy. W do you right. know anything about her? Who is she? What, what, I know who that is. Really? Can you? That's Beverly Oliver. And last November, I danced a twist with her over in Dallas. <laughs> are you kidding? That's pretty impressive. Wow. <laughs> and there are those who would question and, and whether she's truly the, the... First off, for your listeners who may not even know what we're talking about, mm -hmm. in the films and photographs of the Kennedy assassination, there's a woman in a kind of a green overcoat mm -hmm. with a kerchief on her head yeah. standing there filming the motorcade from the south side of... Elm Street, which would make her film very, very important because it would show both the depository and the infamous grassy knoll mm -hmm. in the background at the time of the shooting. Okay. Mm -hmm. For years and years, the Fed said they couldn't figure out who that was. They didn't know who that was. And uh, she, so she, they, they, the researchers just coined the name Babushka Lady because mm -hmm. she was wearing this little kerchief and it looked like a Russian grandmother or whatever, a babushka. And that's how she got that name. But then, back in the 80s, I think it was, or maybe even earlier, um, one, of the, one of the more uh, valid researchers here in Texas, mm -hmm. Gary Shaw, uh, at a church meeting, ran across a woman named Beverly Oliver mm -hmm. and got to talking, and she found out about his interest in the assassination and, found, and said she had uh, gotten religion, and that she said, okay, that was me. And so she wow. she is now, I think, written a book, and she's come out quite publicly. And there are those who claim, well, she's not really the one, except, <laughs> for the best of my knowledge, until somebody can come up with and say, oh, no, it's not her, it's me, I, I'm going to consider her the Babushka lady because everything I know about Beverly Oliver fits, okay? Mm -hmm. She was not a stripper, but she was a singer at Abe's Conley Club, which was just across the parking lot from Ruby's Carousel Club. And as such, she would go over to the Carousel Club and would hobnob with his entertainers. Uh, and this was verified by some of Ruby's entertainers that I've spoken to, okay? And she said that on that weekend of the assassination, she was dating a guy who uh, had worked at Six Flags Over Texas and somehow I'd come up with uh, a brand new and prototype Japanese eight millimeter camera and that he let her borrow it. Oh, wow. And she took the camera and, and then had her hair all rolled up because she was going to perform that night, but she wanted to see the president. So she put on a raincoat and put her kerchief over her head and went down there and stood and filmed the motorcade. And she said, yes, there was definitely somebody firing from behind the fence on the grassy knoll. And then she said, uh, that she just went on home and uh, didn't think anything more about it until mm -hmm. Monday when she showed up for work at the Conley Club, said there was a man there in a suit and tie and, and that uh, identified himself as FBI oh, wow. and said, we understood you took films in the plaza and uh, we would like to uh, see that for evidence purposes and, of course, we'll return it to you. Well, you have to understand that back in 1963, mm -hmm. if somebody from the government, or particularly somebody from J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, said two and two is five, you'd say, well, I always thought it was four, but I guess it's five. Nobody questioned the government back then. Wow. Okay, and, they, and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that makes me so mad about this whole thing, because it was not the public, it was the government that destroyed their credibility with the public.
mm-hmm. and broke that that chain of confidence that is required to have a stable uh, government that people respect. But anyway, so mm-hmm. they took her film. It's never been seen again. The FBI oh, wow. claims that they never they didn't know who that was, never heard of her, and never took the film, and they don't have it. Uh, speaking of so things that go. that went missing, what have you found out about uh, Kennedy's brain going missing? Well, that's about all I can tell you. It it's literally like... now the House Committee tried <laughs> to blame it on uh, Robert Kennedy. They said we think that he came and took possession of the brain. And uh, because they didn't, you know, well, okay, that's fine and good, and that might even be true, <laughs> but, but, hey, it's easy enough to blame it on a dead man, right, who can't defend himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think it may have actually been in that coffin <clears throat> that uh, contained a bunch of the uh, autopsy materials <laughs> that they dumped into the ocean oh, wow. uh, so that nobody could get to mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's another thing. The reason the brain's missing is because if his brain, you would think, President of the United States, that they would preserve that brain somewhere, okay, even if it's under lock and key. But, see, if we had the brain today, then they, uh, with the forensic techniques we have today, they could study it. They could probably tell you exactly how many shots were fired and from which direction. Mm-hmm. That yeah. might upset mm-hmm. the official lone nut story. Jim, there there is a very famous speech that people can easily find online from Kennedy, and it's not, you know, the the, the we're going to the moon one, but it's the one where he says, and you I quote, about secret societies? Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies on covert means for expanding its sphere of influence on infiltration instead of invasion, on uh, subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. And a lot of people say that he was aware that there was a plot against him, and this was his way of saying that he knew that there was a conspiracy, that the powers that be were going to, you know, try to do something to him. Is that what this speech was about, or was this speech something else that just happens to apply, you know, here we are, you know, what, 50, almost 60 years later, in retrospect, are we just amazed that it applies to the world today? Or was Kennedy actually aware that there were a group or groups of people that didn't like him and that he was possibly in danger? Okay. I cannot tell you what his thinking was behind that speech. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, in fact, there were several things he said that uh, I think have been taken out of context mm-hmm. and have been built into all kinds of theologies. Um, but I can tell you for absolute certain that, yes, he was aware mm-hmm. uh, of the dangers that, that lay in his path. Um, if, for example, one of his uh, the movies that he really uh, got behind was Seven Days in May, mm-hmm. which was the old, uh, who was that, Kirk Douglas, I believe, and uh, about a military overthrow of the government in the United States. Um, And then not too long before his own assassination, he was clowning around and said, well, if somebody wants to get me, it won't be hard. They'll just get a rifle and get up a tall building and shoot me when I go by, you know. So I think he he really understood that the danger there. But personally, I think that John F. Kennedy was a product of – 20th century, just like I was, mm-hmm. in that coming off of World War II, we were victorious. We were God's gift to the world. 
America was the shining example of freedom and liberty to the whole world. And even though Kennedy was so well-educated and so well-connected and knew much more than the average person Mm -hmm. about the mafia and the CIA and all this stuff that was going on, I think even he, having been a veteran of World War II, still believed in the intrinsic worth and validity of the United States of America. And I mm. don't think he really seriously, he knew the dangers, but I, I don't think he truly knew the extent of that danger. Wow. But no. see, ever since his, ever since his death and then particularly after his brother, Robert and Martin Luther King were all assassinated, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, the, the, the mask, uh, of, banality began to slip off the face of the United States, and we began to see uh, the powers that were truly in control. Wow. Jim, kind of to, to uh, shift gears a little bit, and we're going to get into the uh, UFO alien aspect of our interview here, uh, uh, using this as a segue. Back in 2011, I think, you know, we started getting a lot of news uh, stories here and there about uh, JFK, uh, a secret memo that shows that he wanted to know what this the, the UFOs were. And apparently this secret memo was filed 10 days before he died. Um, is, is this an actual, is this, is this a real document? Is this a legitimate document? And, and if, which document now are you referring to? Uh, this, is, this is a memo that was uh, released around 2011, I guess it was the classified to some extent. And basically it, it's JFK asking the CIA, if I'm not mistaken, what are UFOs? And he was just concerned that. Oh, okay. All right, I got you. Yeah. No, I've got all these documents. Okay. okay? And uh, I, I, let me preface this by saying that way back seventies and eighties, there was already some fringe rumors saying, yeah, he, he was killed to stop him from uh, revealing what he knew about UFOs. Okay. And I kind of yeah. snickered at that. I was a conventional newspaper reporter. You know, I'm going, no, no. <laughs> Not really. But I'll tell you something. I am now of the opinion that I think that the UFO issue may indeed have been one of the straws that broke the camel's back oh, wow. and got him assassinated. Wow, so really? What you're referring to yeah. is, yeah, is uh, in October of 63, he sent a memorandum to the head of the CIA, and he said, we are uh, getting ready to go into joint space exploration with the Soviets. Again, he and Nikita had agreed they were going to do joint space exploration, and they were going to become more friendly, and they were going to end the Cold War. <laughs> and this has been confirmed by Nikita Khrushchev's son, who's written about that, oh, wow. and from a very well-documented uh, document from Kennedy to the head of NASA saying the same thing, <laughs> that we were getting ready to go into joint space exploration with the Soviets. <laughs> okay, and so in this memo to the CIA, he said, I want you to turn over all the files on UFOs to the White House uh, so that we can separate the knowns from the unknowns Mm -hmm. so that the Soviets won't think that we're using this joint space effort as a means of spying on them. Okay? And he said, I want those. I want all that on my desk no later than February the 1st, 1964. Mm -hmm. All right? So there you go. Now, everybody knows anything knows that if the CIA had truly come out with all of the uh, the information that they truly knew about UFOs mm-hmm. and turned it over to the White House, it, it, the White House leaks like a sieve, and it would be tantamount to making it public. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, is there any other evidence that Kennedy knew something about this? And yes, if you'll read my book, uh, 
alien agenda. Mm-hmm. I interviewed a fellow by the name of uh, of uh, Bill. Um, <laughs> it slips my mind. Uh, Bill Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, <laughs> Bill Holden. Bill okay. Holden, who okay. was the loadmaster for Air Force One, and in the summer of 1963, they were in Europe. Uh, that's when Kennedy made his famous "Ich bin ein Berliner" speech. And Holden told me that at that time there was a little bit of a of a uh, flap going on in the European media about a UFO incident. And he said Kennedy was actually pretty approachable, mm-hmm. and that he, on board Air Force One, he went up to him and said, Mr. President, he said, uh, you know, what do you think about the, the UFOs? And he said Kennedy turned to him and quite seriously said, and take note of this because I think this says volumes. Mm-hmm. He said, I would like to tell the public about the alien situation, but my hands are tied. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, wow. So even so, Kennedy knew. Kennedy knew. Things, wow. Okay, and I could get into much more than that too, because uh, there is a document called the Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit Report of 1947 that details the uh, two landing zones uh, in, uh, during the Roswell incident, and apparently is quite truthful in its information. Mm-hmm. And after checking, we found out that yes, indeed, implausible as it sounds, there was a a, a hidden military unit called the Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit. Mm-hmm. And in this report, towards the end of it, it states that one of the few members of Congress in 1947 who knew the truth about Roswell mm-hmm. uh, was Representative John F. Kennedy of Massachusetts, who had been with Naval Intelligence, which is true. Mm-hmm. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that. All they know is he was, you know, skipper of the PT-109. Mm-hmm. But before that, he was in Naval Intelligence and that he had a source within the Secretary of the Air Force's office. Oh, okay. my God. So uh, it does seem as though Kennedy, of all the presidents, uh, knew the truth of the UFO oh, situation. Wow. and was maybe making, taking steps to try to make that public, and that I don't think that was the reason they killed him, but mm-hmm. I think it was one of them. Right, right. Uh, so basically, from what I'm hearing about these documents, uh, so was Roswell a, a, a UFO crash or was it a UFO landing? Well, it was it was a, a crash. Okay. Uh, but you know, the thing is, uh, number one, there had been UFO reports all over New Mexico that whole mm-hmm. week. And also, they were testing out some new type of radar okay. uh, right there near Roswell Army Airfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best evidence seems to suggest that uh, there was a violent thunderstorm going on at mm-hmm. the time. And either the lightning uh, or air currents or something having to do with the storm mm-hmm. and or the u- new use of this more powerful radar apparently interfered with the uh, aerodynamics of a saucer mm-hmm. and that it came down and hit on the Brazil ranch and kind of skipped like a, like mm-hmm. skipping a stone over the, over the lake. Okay. Yeah. It yeah. hit and it left behind a lot of metallic debris and then veered on and then finally ended up in the side of a ravine uh, near Socorro, New Mexico. Wow. And so mm-hmm. that's caused a lot of confusion because people thought, well, you know, first they, they argued over which one was the real crash, and then they finally realized it might have been the same one. So then they go, well, maybe it's two two saucers, but mm-hmm. apparently it was only the one. Wow. And then where, when it finally came to rest there at uh, 
Socorro, that's where they reportedly found the bodies. Speaking of finding bodies, I, I'm pretty sure you, you probably heard about they're being called as the Roswell slides, and they were revealed this week. And, you know, it kind of has divided right. Uh, the camp, <laughs> right? Right. Um, right. Have you had a chance to look at the at the slide? And if yes, so, I what? have, and they're very intriguing, but I can't tell you, I can't tell you if it's <laughs> legit or not. Uh, and that's the big problem with this whole thing, mm -hmm. because there is such a concerted effort in, on the part of the government all right. the way back into the 40s to obscure this subject, mm -hmm. that every time something comes along that seems to nail it one way or another, then they, they pop up and they've got, uh, you know, mm -hmm. other evidence that, no, it's just a fake and bye-bye. If you come up with one document that says it happens, then they can come up with another one that said, no, it never does, never has. Mm -hmm. And so... The only way you can ever know the truth about the uh, Roswell incident is to just really study all of the material and then use your own God-given computer, call your brain, uh, to figure out who's telling the truth and who's not. But I will put it this way, mm -hmm. and, and here's the way I see it. Okay. Uh, on the one hand, you have the government official story uh, by the uh, by the, from the airport, they mm -hmm. issued uh, Air Force, yeah. and they issued a report called uh, "Case Closed." Okay, okay. And according to them, yeah, it was just a uh, weather balloon, a, a mogul balloon, uh, you know, just some normal thing. Okay. Now, for the evidence, they don't really have any. Mm -hmm. The mogul balloon stuff didn't start until the fifties. The crash dummies, they, they didn't start until 1954. Okay. They, none of this was going on in 1947. Right. So the, you've got, on the one hand, the government pronouncement that nothing unusual happened at Roswell, okay? Okay. With little or nothing to actually support that. On the other hand, then, you've got those who claimed that there was a crash of a strange uh, metallic uh, saucer with alien bodies in it. Mm -hmm. And there's about four to 500 people now on the public record who said, yes, I was there. Yes, I saw it. Yes, I flew records to Fort Worth. Yes, I flew the records to Wright-Patterson. Yes, I flew over the debris field. Yes, I picked up stuff. Yes, I saw the bodies in the hospital. So who are you going to believe, your government or your own lying eyes? Could I just ask something? Um, I guess it's, it's not a factual thing, but um, do you blame governments or the government or you know any government across the world when they want to keep the public in the dark about certain things do you think that's an absolute um a, a wrong or or do you think that you know maybe the public can't take in certain things at least not maybe in certain eras or do you think okay, you know should they always do they always need the truth right uh, okay, personally, I want the truth. Okay, mm -hmm. I don't care how bad it is, I want the truth. Mm -hmm. But that's just me. But yeah. then I've also considered what you're saying, and it is true, and I can certainly understand what goes on here. The government is there to be the government of mm -hmm. all the people. Okay? Yeah, correct. And so um, what I see in Roswell is that by coming out and uh, saying nothing unusual happened there, folks, you know, uh, they are, on the one hand, uh, the people who actually study the case yeah. and realize, for example, that all message traffic out of Roswell Army Airfield for the couple of months in question has disappeared. Mm -hmm. We don't know, you know. Yeah. Well, for the people who study the information, and like I said, the witnesses on the record, then they go, the government's lying. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And then they go, wow, if the government's lying, that means they're covering it up. If yeah. they're covering it up, that means that it's the truth. So in a backwards way, they are confirming the truth to the people who really study it. But then for the people who don't want to know, they can sleep peaceably at night by saying, well, the government said there wasn't anything okay. to it. So, uh, so they've, see, they've achieved they're two different things. They're kind of things. accommodating both sides. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a really interesting point. I've I've never looked at it that way. Jim, let me ask you about this story that came out also a few years ago. And I, man, you know that so much information gets put out there, and you know you kind of got to use your common sense to, right? You know, sift through all of this stuff. There was a book that came out around 2011 with the title Area 51: An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base, and in it. It makes the uh, case for what happened at Roswell was nothing but <laughs> a plane full of alien-like children uh, sent by Stalin. Did you say nothing to... but? <laughs> no, no I, think, I think they were supposed to be Japanese children or something like that. But, I mean, uh, well, let, me, let me address that real quick yeah. because this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was written by a friend of mine, Nick Redford. Okay. And um, he... He had located these two elderly people, man and woman, mm-hmm. who had been working for the government back in the 1940s, uh-huh. and they told him this whole story. I, I can't remember all the particulars, but yeah. pretty much outlined it. You know, yeah, yeah. some kind of Soviet thing, and there was little crippled children, little crippled Japanese <laughs> right, right. children or, that were burned or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I kind of accosted Nick and said, you know, do you really believe that? And he says, well... It's not me believing it. He said, I'm just being a good reporter. He said, that's what these people said, and I think they were sincere. Mm. And after talking with him and looking at all their material, I think they were sincere, too. The mm-hmm. problem is they had no firsthand knowledge. Mm. They didn't see any of that happen. Right. They right. were told that at the time, okay, by mm-hmm. superiors in the government. And I happen to know for a fact in other areas that people were told other things because Mm -hmm. that was part of the Mm cover-up. They spread all of these stories around and told everybody at the time, oh, it's really these, uh, you know, little children's bodies, blah, blah, blah. But don't tell anybody. And, of course, knowing that 50 years later when they're on their deathbed, they're going to say, well, it was just little children. And they truly believe that. Okay. Wow. And it's the same thing, by the way, with the Kennedy assassination. Mm -hmm. The cover-up of the Kennedy assassination is not in that there's a lack of evidence. In fact, quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. They have spewed out so many red herrings and straw men and covered up and thrown out so many theories that the average person finally just throws up their hands and goes, man, I don't think I want to hear any more about it. In fact, let me add this, too. For 15 years after the Kennedy assassination, and again, I can tell you this because I lived through it, it was just considered impolite to even talk about the assassination in decent company, okay? Mm -hmm. So there was just kind of this code of silence for about 15 years until the House committee came along, and they finally concluded there was a conspiracy. And, of course, from then on, it's just been run revelation after another. Mm -hmm. And the reason I mention that is because we're going through the same period right now Mm -hmm. with the attacks of Mm 9-11. You're yeah. just really not supposed to talk about it. And if you do, then, you know, you're probably just a, a, a conspiracy theorist yeah. and maybe even unpatriotic. Yeah. But I want to tell you guys, I want to tell you guys that as the years roll on and as more and more people become more and more aware of the factual information that is available about 9-11 and it being an inside job, mm-hmm. that it's going gonna, it's gonna to more and more come out and you'll see more and more books and eventually there'll be movies. And by, I don't know, 2050 or something, assuming we're all still here, 
uh, everybody will go, oh, yeah, 9-11, that was an inside job. Right. It's like today, they go, oh, yeah, Kennedy assassination, yeah, it was a conspiracy. Well, we're not exactly sure whose it was, but it was a conspiracy. I mean, the polls show 85 90% of the people believe that now. I'm glad you bring up 9-11 because that's actually where I wanted to go next. But real quick, I just want to send a quick shout-out to uh, our listeners in uh, Ustream and iHeart. And I'm reading a comment here on our Ustream chat room. Leslie says, I remember reading a book somewhere that basically said there were so many reasons that Kennedy would have been killed for. It was probably a question of why not. <laughs> and it definitely it definitely <laughs> sounds like... Uh, yeah, I can see that argument. And, that, and I think after everything I've outlined uh-huh. to you, the fact that he had... Uh, the mafia, the CIA, the FBI, yeah. the military, uh, big industrialists, the industrial military, industrial complex, all men, they were all hated him, wanting him out of there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's not too far from the truth. <laughs> and that also explains why that, you know, at the time and within the few months mm-hmm. following the assassination, uh, I think there was only a handful of people who actually knew, you know, uh, uh-huh. uh, what had actually taken place. But there was a huge swath of uh, prominent and powerful Americans mm-hmm. who understood that the power had shifted, and it, they were kind of okay with it, and so they kept their peace. Wow. Uh, I, would, I would say, as an example, <clears throat> tomorrow, if you, you know, think about how the public in the United States right mm-hmm. now today views President Obama. Mm-hmm. If tomorrow we were to learn he'd been assassinated— don't you think about half the country would go, oh, good, and it wouldn't wouldn't say much about yeah. you know demanding yeah. any kind of truthful investigation as to what happened. That is well, honestly that's a in great the example. Of 1963, which I tried to explain to you, mm-hmm. which was a whole different time and place, and the the passions were even higher than they are today. I mean, the United States public today, it, we're all drugged out and watching TV and right. you know in the electronic matrix and overweight, you know, yeah. and, and hooked on, on uh, video games and, and football. And so, you know, was, but back then, uh, you know, the uh, animosity towards Kennedy was a lot stronger than even the animosity of the day towards Obama. Wow. And if you can imagine that. <laughs> I, it, it's, hard, it's hard for me because obviously, you know, I wasn't there, but I can see, you know, he was a guy that was pretty much changing every aspect of the game, quote unquote, uh, just to use right. a, a word. And yeah, I mean, when you're fighting the, the establishment, the status quo, uh, that's bound to ruffle some feathers. Do you think he was naively brave? It, it, because I get that vibe, like, yeah, you know, I like he that. really didn't know how to play the it was game like he of was politics. Bra- yeah, he was brave. But- yeah. Yeah, but naively, so, some of the well, idealistic. I, I th- yes. yeah. yeah, I think it was a bravery born of naivete, okay? Mm-hmm. Because like I said earlier, uh, I think uh, his biggest mistake was is that he truly believed he was president of the United States. <laughs> and he was beginning to take tentative <clears throat> steps to restore mm-hmm. the freedom and, and liberty in this yeah. country, which had been curtailed severely because through the Roosevelt mm-hmm. years, uh, because of the Great Depression, and then because of the uh, extremities of World War II and the necessities. I mean, and when we were a nation at war, the military was everything. That if they said, 
frog you jumped, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they were the boss. And and you had to quiet. If you had any criticism about the government, you had to shut up because it was unpatriotic, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, mm-hmm. that's wartime. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy was beginning to turn us into uh, trying to return us uh, to the uh, equality mm-hmm. and the justice and the liberty. Uh, that we gave lip service to and, and thought we had. I do want to talk about 9/11, but I just remember this question that I wanted to ask you. Uh, one of you know one of the books that that got me on my way into really looking behind the curtain as to what's going on is uh, "Behold the Pale Horse" by uh, William Cooper, or Bill Cooper, and um, mm-hmm. he uh, in his book he mentioned something that I honestly I'll be you know being really blunt with you I found it a little hard to believe. Which was that I I'm not sure if he if his posture changed uh, you know after the the book was published but in the book he said that he reviewed the Sapruder film and he believed that uh, the driver was the one that took the the fatal shot that killed President yeah. Kennedy have you heard about that and does that I've heard about that for years it, does that hold any any fact, water I, I heard mean about that from Bill Cooper back in the 70s oh really oh you had a when, you when got to meet Bill sending a little treat yeah he sent a little treatise around all the major media and uh-huh. it ended up at my desk at the Star Telegram and uh, I started off being pretty impressed with his because uh, it sounded like he had some good military yeah. credentials yeah in the background but let me tell you poor Bill uh, for one thing, mm-hmm. uh, the two things he mentioned and continued to go with was that the driver Greer turned and shot Kennedy mm-hmm. with his little pistol, yeah. and that every all the closest witnesses were all dead within a few years. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I'm here to disabuse you of that idea because <laughs> neither one of those are true. Okay. Uh, number one, I can send you, in fact, if you look at my new uh, updated version of Crossfire, mm-hmm. which came mm-hmm. out in 2013, there is a blow-up of uh, Zapruder Frame 313, and it's clear enough that you can actually see that what appears to be a pistol is simply the sunlight reflecting off of the hair of Kellerman, who's sitting next to Greer. Okay. okay so that so the driver did not shoot Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And number two, um, up, uh, Bill and Gail Newman are still alive. They were close witnesses. Mm-hmm. Dean Hill lived until a few years ago, and so did uh, 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 several of the other witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so that statement was not uh, precise either. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, but he just – and, in fact, I know for a fact, because I was one of them, that serious researchers contacted uh, Cooper, mm-hmm. and because he was selling these really bad, uh, blurry copies of the Superior film, yeah. and trying to tell people, here's the proof that uh, the shot Kennedy, and so mm-hmm. uh, several of the serious researchers, including mm-hmm. myself, contacted him and said, you know, that's really not true, and you're not really doing the uh, research community. Mm-hmm. Uh, any good pushing this easily, uh, you know, mm-hmm. countered argument. And uh, he listened. He was very polite, but I noticed he kept selling that thing all yeah. the, all the way through. So well, you just have to take that with uh, for what it was. But <laughs> it didn't happen. Jim, I'll I'll admit that I was you know I saved my lunch money and I sent away for a copy of the Sapruder film on VHS from Bill Cooper. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, did too. I've you know. Seen it. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, and, like, hey, I don't know if you got the same one I did, but the one I got was so bad, such a fourth, fifth, sixth generation <laughs> that there really wasn't even much color to it. it was like yeah, a black and white film. I mean, yeah. I, I I feel like I should go look for that VHS tape somewhere in one of 
the many boxes I have because yeah, for I'm pretty sure it must be a collector's item by now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you I mean, go look in the new my new edition of Crossfire mm-hmm. uh, in the picture section. You'll find a blow up of the frame, and you can see for yourself what actually was there. Because yeah, I mean, like I said, I I remember reading that, and you know, I was younger back then, and. Uh, but it's something I was, you know, his book was great. There was a lot of very important information, but that that little tidbit kind of, I was like, oh, I don't know about that, Bill. But you know, well, yeah, that see, that was me too because <laughs> you know I was kind of I was kind of with him there until I started reading what he was saying about the assassination, right? And been there and done that, I, I knew that wasn't correct. So then I had to take everything he said with a grain of salt. Um, and uh, let me let me close out the the this Bill Cooper conversation, asking you this: Do you think that he was indeed assassinated, or was it just an unfortunate uh, when that when that encounter. came down the day that happened? Mm-hmm. You know, that was my immediate thought. You know, yeah. they got rid of Bill. Yeah, yeah. But I want to tell you something. To the best of my investigation and i did do some checking and i personally talked to some people that are involved mm-hmm. for one thing it was not the feds were not involved in that okay, okay. this was a local thing there had been some suits going on a civil suit mm-hmm. they went out to serve some papers on him mm-hmm. and um he turned and uh tried to run away from him and then turned and fired at him with a pistol well mm-hmm. you know anytime you shoot at the police you know, that's, yeah. that's a yeah. declaration of suicide, right? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, and so, you know, they then they all unloaded on him, and it was very tragic. It probably never should have happened, and in fact, I think if he hadn't been as paranoid as he was, it might not have happened. I mean, if he hadn't shot at the cops, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have shot him, right? Yeah, yeah. And no, so, it's true. And so uh, I, I can't say anything with certainty. You never know. These things could be set up, and you never know. Right. Uh, there, there's been some really things going on here recently. You know, the Michael Hastings crash, the uh, the crash uh, that Jeff Rents just got through going through, and uh, uh, another fella, another mm-hmm. radio host. Uh, you know, so, yeah, you know, these things happen, and it's not mm-hmm. beyond the realm of possibility, but... Uh, at this point, I, I I consider his death. Well, I started to say natural, but it wasn't exactly right. natural. But, right. But you hear what I'm saying. No. I, I don't think it was nefarious. Yeah. No, I understand. Um, just to butt in quickly again. Um, here's another question from the chat room. Um, Professor Madness asks if um, you ever have, or if you have plans for making a documentary. You know, what with your wealth of knowledge. <laughs> Well, as a matter of fact, I, I've already got one out there. It's called Crossfire. I, I'm not. I think you can order it off of Amazon. Uh, I was told it's going to be available in WalMarts, but I'm. I don't know. I haven't seen it there, so I don't really know. But it, it's called Crossfire, and it presents a lot of the information that I have uh, talked about at the pro, on the program tonight. Okay. Uh, you can go up on YouTube, I, as I understand it, because I don't go looking for for my talks much. Because since I made the talk, I know what I said, you know, but. But uh, I understand I'm all over YouTube, so you probably find a, a talk of mine somewhere that would give you uh, all of the details. And again, if you'll read my book, Crossfire, you not mm-hmm. only will get all of the details and all of the information you need, but you'll also get the sources and the index so you can move around it and, you know, you can really uh, brush up on it, uh, partic- particularly if, uh, what is it, Dr. Madness wants to know, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> I hate to be crass, but buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And and you have those books at jimmars.com, correct? 
Yes, that's true. You can order them there, or you can order them off Amazon, or you can go to your local bookstore and just say, I want that book. And it's probably if they everywhere. don't have it right then, then <laughs> they'll have it in a day or two. Now, uh, speaking of books, you also wrote the book, uh, The War on Freedom, and, and you tackled 9-11. Now, people probably figured out by now, I wasn't around for JFK. However, when you watch the movie, you kind of get an idea of the environment at the time, what the, the political climate was at the time. And what was astounding to me is, you know, there's a character in the movie played, you know, marvelously by uh, Keith Sutherland. And he's... Donald Sutherland. Donald, sorry, thank you. <laughs> I, knew it was, I knew it was a Sutherland. <laughs> Donald Sutherland. Keith is his son. Correct. And he, he plays the character of Mr. X, I believe. He, he goes by Mr. X in the movie. And he, right. you know, talks about how... He he was sent to the North Pole and the security measures were ignored and, uh, you know, the, the security personnel was asked to stand down. And I remember just hearing him talk and a lot of this stuff began to sound eerily familiar to the things we heard post 9-11. You know, NORAD was told to stand down. Mm -hmm. You know, they were doing a training ex exercise that was mimicking what That's was actually right. It was a little scary, uh, Jim. <laughs> what 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 is going on here? Is this well first, well? first, let me explain about Mr. X. That, that uh -huh. was one of the few characters in that movie JFK uh, that w was not named. Okay, Gene Hill, a uh, witness, was Gene Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, Dean Andrews, the lawyer in uh, played by John Candy, was Dean Andrews. You know, mm -hmm. all of a sudden we've got Mr. X. Mm -hmm. Okay, now what happened there actually is pretty simple. Um, Jim Garrison, the district attorney in New Orleans, mm -hmm. uh, never did talk to uh, Colonel uh, Fletcher Prouty mm -hmm. uh, until years after the assassination. Oh, and okay. Mr. X was based on the character of Fletcher Prouty. He's the one who's, who had worked for Edward Lansdale, Operation Mongoose, mm -hmm. and had been sent out of the country mm -hmm. and was way out of position, you know, mm -hmm. when the assassination happened yeah. and, and felt like that... Uh, in New Zealand, where I think is where he was sent, Christchurch, and that they had information on Lee Harvey Oswald, he thought, way too early, uh, you know, for legitimate uh, news coverage, mm -hmm. and that, that he saw that as prepositioning of, uh, of the Oswald's guilt, you know, almost before the time mm -hmm. it happened. And there's other evidence that tends to point to that. Mm -hmm. But the problem was, in the movie, if they had called Mr. X Colonel Prouty, uh, the naysayers and debunkers would have said, well, you know, he's just making stuff up because Garrison at the time of the trials never did meet with Prouty, which was true. Mm -hmm. But uh, Garrison did go to Washington and meet with Richard Case Nagel, who was a undercover military intelligence operative who also told him some things. Case Nagel is a, is a really interesting case because he uh, – uh, he was operating as a double counter-spy, operating on behalf of the KGB. And the KGB said there's a plot by the right wing to kill Kennedy, and it involves Lee Harvey Oswald, and you're to go and try to talk him out of it, and if you can't, kill Oswald so we don't get blamed for the assassination. And so at the time Oswald took the bus trip to Mexico City, uh, Richard Case Nagel was supposed to go there and kill him, but he got cold feet mm -hmm. and instead went into a bank in El Paso and fired a gun up in the air and said, I'm robbing the bank, and then went out and sat on the curb and waited for the police to come pick him up. And then he said, I'd rather be in jail than be a traitor. 
And while he was in jail, he sent letters to the FBI, to J. Edgar Hoover personally, telling him about this plot to kill Kennedy, mm-hmm. not realizing, of course, that he was tipping off some of the very people behind the plot. And uh, so that was really an interesting case. But anyway, Garrison did talk to Richard Case Nagel. So what Stone did was combine the two characters, uh, mm-hmm. Fletcher Prouty and Richard Case Nagel, and he just called him Mr. X. Mm, I that's, see. Uh, that's why that took place, okay? Okay. But what Mr. X said was exactly what uh, Fletcher Prouty was mm-hmm. to say in later years. So, again, uh, the the – Technically, it was, that was not done during that trial, so that wasn't truthful. And yet, in reality, that's absolutely the truth of what he said. Uh, now, uh, about 9-11, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, instead of me going on and on, which I could, mm-hmm. I'm simply going to quote to you from a man named John Farmer. Okay. Now, who's John Farmer? John Farmer was a, uh, a formerly an attorney general in New Jersey. And he was selected as the senior counsel to the official 9-11 commission, you know, created by George W. Bush yeah. more than two years after the 9-11 attacks, mm-hmm. which has always crapped me. Yeah. Uh, the day after Pearl Harbor, Congress convened a committee to look in to see what had happened. Within a week of the Kennedy assassination, Johnson had formed his Warren Commission to find out what happened. Two years after the worst terrorist attack in American history, they said they finally got around wow. to trying to get a commission going, and they funded yeah. it for three million dollars, which you know sounds a lot to me and you, but mm-hmm. in Washington that's just pocket change. Right, right. And in fact, in two thousand four, the Republican National Committee announced that they had spent uh, sixty million dollars, which is like four times more money on George Bush's inauguration parties. Wow. So they spent more money on Bush's inauguration wow. parties than they even spent to investigate what happened on 9-11. But back to John Farmer, mm-hmm. 2011, he published a book called The Ground Truth. And in there on page two, he states, in the course of our investigation into the national response to the attacks, mm-hmm. the 9-11 Commission staff discovered that the official version of what had occurred that morning, that is, what government and military officials had told Congress, the Commission, the media, and the public mm-hmm. about who knew what and when, mm-hmm. was almost entirely and inexplicably untrue. <laughs> wow. The next page, he, he goes on to make it clear. He says, at some level of the government, at some point in time, there was a decision not to tell the truth about what happened. Wow. Now, that's not me. Mm-hmm. That's not Jim Mars. That's not some conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. That is the chief counsel, the head lawyer of the official 9-11 commission. Wow. So, wow. Genevieve and Frank yeah. and your listeners, I ask you if the senior counsel of the 9-11 commission says that they did not tell us the truth, then what is the problem, and what is unpatriotic about demanding the truth? Oh, my God. Yeah. Jim. Now, what do you know about 9-11? Uh-huh. Oh, well, we know that these 19 Muslim hijackers uh, hijacked those four airliners, flew mm-hmm. two of them into the World Trade Center, mm-hmm. uh, flew one of them into the Pentagon, and and uh, all and, and crashed in uh, New Jersey, uh, uh, all uh, uh, with uh, uh, using box cutters, right? Yeah. I mean, we all know that. How do we know that? Well, because the media told us mm-hmm. that. How does the media know that? Well, the government told them that. Mm-hmm. How does the government know that? Well, 
But it really kind of comes back to this Barbara Olson, who was a CNN commentator who was on one of the airplanes. I think it was the one that uh, supposedly hit the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. And according to the story, she used her cell phone to call her husband, Ted Olson, who just Mm -hmm. by some weird chance happened to be appointed by President George W. Bush as uh, a solicitor general of the United States. Okay, so he's a federal employee, and he said he got several calls from Barbara who said they've herded the crew and passengers to the rear of the plane, and they're using little little box knives, you know, Mm -hmm. which came to be called box cutters, Mm -hmm. and uh, they've taken control of the airplane. Okay, well, now, wait a minute, though. Immediately, there was a problem because it was determined that at that date and time, you could not use a cell phone on a high-flying aircraft. Yeah. Uh, they did not have a chip fast enough to where allowed to, uh, to uh, catch the signals on these uh, cell towers, okay, if you're flying high and fast. In fact, it was not until 2003 that they announced they had a chip that would allow that kind. So Ted Olson backed up and said, well, uh, I guess she must have used the air phone on the back of her seat. All right, well, Problem there was they checked and found that the aircraft that Barbara Olson was on did not have the earphones on the back of the seats. Ooh, whoa. And then it gets better because in 2006 when they put the uh, only person who's been tried uh, for 9-11, Zachariah mm-hmm. uh, Missouri, who admitted he was a member of al-Qaeda, but he was already in custody on 9-11, so he couldn't have had anything to do with it directly. But they brought him to trial. And the FBI, as usual, showed up with every little bit of detail evidence they had, including the phone records for that day of 9-11. And guess what? They said there had been one Mm -hmm. attempted call by Barbara Olson, but it was unconnected. In other words, gang, there was no call (laughs) from Barbara Olson. Oh, my God. So how do we know any of this stuff? Wow. Another question from the chat. And I could show you a hole in the Pentagon, Mm -hmm. not the big gaping V-shaped crash Mm -hmm. of the wall after the wall collapsed, because Mm -hmm. that's what we've all seen. And that's easy enough to imagine that an airplane crashed into there. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about for an hour or so before the wall fell, I have photographs of the actual hole on the west side, the outside hole in the Pentagon, and it was no more than 12 foot high and Mm -hmm. 20 foot wide. How do you get an airliner with a four-story tall, right, 44 right. feet tall uh, tail and 125-foot mm-hmm. wingspan into a hole 12 by 20? Mm-hmm. And not only that, but I interviewed April Glatsby, who uh, was in the Pentagon when the explosion took place, and grabbed her young son and crawled through that very hole. The oh, wow. They tell us was so inflamed with jet fuel oh, fire wow. that it melted the entire airplane. Wow. Come on, folks. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Don't fall for it. Well, on that on that note, we have a question from Tony Merlo in the chat room, and um, he's asking whether you have an opinion on the fact that the jet fuel does not burn hot enough to melt steel beams. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, even the, even the pro-government story experts admit that uh, jet fuel, which is basically kerosene with some... <clears throat> added chemicals, uh, it, it does not burn hot enough to, mm-hmm. to melt steel. The official uh, debunking report of that is that, uh, well, it didn't have to actually melt all the steel columns. It just had to weaken them enough 
you know, yeah. for this whole thing, 110 stories to collapse down itself, which, uh, you know, to me, it makes no sense whatsoever, particularly the fact that in my career as a newsman, I have covered, oh, maybe a half dozen or more uh, building demolitions, okay? <laughs> and um, being a newspaper reporter, print reporter, I did not have the luxury of simply taking film of the building falling down or take a photograph of the smoke cloud going up and say, wow, folks, look at that. Mm-hmm. I had to actually write the story, so I had to interview all these uh, building demolition experts. And the thing I learned from all of them, is that you don't just take some explosives and blow down a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have just the right type of explosives. It's got to go mm-hmm. at just the right uh, support columns and pieces. It's got to go off in just the right sequence. And it takes weeks, sometimes months, to properly rig a building uh, to fall down and not endanger yeah. the buildings around it. Wow. And then, of course, is the burning question of how can two airplanes bring down three buildings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, all, we all know about the world trade center one and two mm-hmm. but what about world trade center seven yeah building which seven collapsed that afternoon about five twenty-five. 30 and minutes after the bbc announced <laughs> that it was <laughs> live broadcast yeah. that it had collapsed and a lot of people believe that's where rudy uh giuliani was that was kind of like the control center a lot of people believe right, right? because there had <clears throat> been a hardened command center built into building seven so, yeah, the the theory, the idea is, I'm not saying this is true, I don't mm-hmm. know, but the theory is is that they destroyed Building 7 to destroy the command center that was uh, uh, in charge of controlling the airplanes. Mm. Because yeah. the airplanes, see, being an award-winning aviation aerospace rider, the thing that struck me right <laughs> off on 9-11 was the fact when I heard that these four separate airliners of four separate uh, flights Taken yeah. off from four separate airports mm-hmm. and with four yeah. separate routes, and yet their transponders all went off at approximately mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just impossible. There's no way that could happen, except one way. The only way that mm-hmm. could happen is if they are uh, taken over mm-hmm. by their computers. Their onboard computers are taken over by outside control, and somebody flips a switch and their transponders go off. Now, let me ask you this, because this is something that blew my mind uh, a few years ago. I obviously was researching all of this stuff, and I came across something called Operation Northwoods, in, which was yep. basically outlined as a remote control passenger airline they would crash and they would blame uh, the Fidel and, and Cuba for the downing of that plane in order to garner support for an invasion of Cuba. Fast forward to uh, September 11, 2001, pretty much looks Same like thing. that was the case. Uh, exactly. Is that what you believe? And I, ha- I have copies of the Northwoods documents, and that's exactly what they talk about. Uh, but and, and just so you think, though, that it's all innocuous, uh, number one, they also talked about setting off bombs in American cities and assassinating certain people oh, wow. and blaming it all on Castro. Oh, now, the wow. really scary part of this is this was in the spring of 1962, and this plan, Operation Northwoods, mm-hmm. was approved by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Oh, wow. It was only <laughs> stopped by the president, who said, we don't operate like that, and right. that was... John F. Kennedy. Right, right. It's also safe to say that he was trying to avoid another Bay of Pigs, right? Uh, Well, I think, again, I think because he was uh, the most highly educated president Mm -hmm. we've had, and I think he understood that, uh, you know, we could not claim any moral high ground Mm -hmm. if we uh, just, uh, you know, 
uh, created false flag uh, 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 events and mm-hmm. then tried to invade another sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. We don't seem to have any problem with that now. Look at uh, Afghanistan, right. Iraq. <laughs> Iraq. <laughs> but, but back then, you know, the, he, I think he truly thought, well, no, wait a minute, mm-hmm. that, uh, America doesn't operate that way. Mm-hmm. Jim, we're quickly running out of time, so I'm going to try to cram this uh, question in real quick. May 1st, 2011, uh, President Barack Obama stands in in front of the nation and says that bin Laden had successfully been uh, eliminated by SEAL Team 6. However, in uh, 2007, Benazir Bhutto says on air during an interview, uh, I can't remember what was the uh, news agency, but she claims that bin Laden had been dead since 2001. That's correct. Also, by the way, in 2002, our former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, also said that Osama bin Laden had been dead since 2001. He died in December of 2001 of complications of that uh, kidney disorder that he had. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to, yeah, I wanted (laughs) to corroborate with you. Okay, now there's going to be those who who watch the movies and the TV specials mm-hmm. and the, read the accounts and go, wait a minute, what about SEAL Team 6, you know? Yeah. Uh, they did that such a wonderful job of invading Abbottville or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay, but okay, now wait a minute. They were These were trained commandos, mm-hmm. great, and they're told, you're going after Osama bin Laden. He's hiding in this house, and they go in the house, and they shoot a few people, and they see a guy with a beard, and they shoot him, mm-hmm. Okay. And they come back, and they're hailed as heroes, and they're told, you killed Osama bin Laden, you know? So yeah. how do they know the difference? But how do we know? Because instead, number one, initially, according to the official <laughs> reports, originally they shot him in the leg. Mm-hmm. So, okay, why didn't they just grab him and bring him back, yeah. put him on trial, and then, you know, uh, convict him of <laughs> the 9-11 attacks yeah. and show the world that we are a nation of justice mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know uh, punishment, and that you can't get away with with that stuff with us. Which is but what no, which <laughs> no, is what we did with in the, in the ocean. <laughs> it don't even have a body. We can't even find out if it's really him or not. And then uh, a bunch of these sealed ticks, sealed mm-hmm. uh, six guys uh, that were in on the uh, Obama raid. Uh, oh, terrible tragedy! I got killed when their helicopter went mm-hmm. down in Afghanistan. Yep. Dead men tell no tales. The it, whole thing stinks to heaven. It does. You know, interestingly enough, of course, Benazir Bhutto uh, died in, the, you know, where she was assassinated. Yeah, just a few weeks 2007. after Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you read my book, uh, The uh, Terror Conspiracy Revisited, which is about the 9-11 attacks, mm-hmm. you'll also read about Abu Zabidah, who in the summer of 2002 was captured uh, in Pakistan, I think, and uh, the White House made a big deal about it, saying he was the uh, the biggest uh, Al Qaeda uh, official that we had caught, mm-hmm. and they were going to make him talk. And sure enough, they did. And he 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 broke down and said he was actually working for these three <laughs> Saudi princes. Okay, so mm-hmm. in other words, Al Qaeda was being run by the Saudis, <laughs> and of course, seventeen of the nineteen hijackers mm-hmm. were Saudis. Yeah. None of them were Iraqis. Mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah. who are the close business and social friends of the Saudi royals? Bush, the Bush family. Yeah. Well, how convenient is that? <laughs> it it's scary. It's it's scary the times that we oh, live in. The three princes, the three Saudi princes, by the way, mm-hmm. that Abu Zabidah named as his controllers mm-hmm. over Al Qaeda. Uh, once this information got made public. 
uh, they all died within two months. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It, it's one, really one of crazy. Them, uh, this Arab from Saudi Arabia, they said he died from dehydration. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know how to drink it up. Well. Yeah, right. Like, what do I do? I'm, I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, folks, we're we're to the point now to where they just lie when sometimes they don't even have to lie. Yeah. And yeah. they lie so openly and brazenly that the real message is, yeah, we're lying to you. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. No. Yeah. For me, you know, and I've taken a lot of flack for speaking against Zero Dark Thirty, you know, whether Bin Laden was actually killed when Obama said he was killed. At the same time, I feel like I'm not asking any questions that are outside of the scope of reason. Uh, exactly. You know, and one of the things that, that really bugged me was when we look at the Kennedy case, right? They cleaned the limo. They sent suits to the cleaners. They pretty much got rid of all the important evidence. They and you, evidence. Yeah. And then you look at 9-11, right? And they that sent the connection with a crime. We'd be thrown in jail. Right. It's yes, you're tampering with evidence, and then they they sent the the steel from 9/11 to get melted off, uh, like in Puerto Rico or something like that. You know, it's it's it, China. You know, was it China? Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, God. got shipped to China, <laughs> and now it's coming back to us as uh, you know building supplies. It's 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 crazy. It's crazy that the the world that we live in. But we're lucky to have somebody like like Jim Mars to be well, a journalist. Yeah, it's good yeah. that you and Genevieve are on the job because <laughs> I, I'm getting long in the tooth and I'm not going to be around here forever. I've got a question to okay. squeeze in. Um, yep. At Contact in the Desert, you'll be talking. Um, you're, you're going to have a little lecture on population control and. Without giving too much away, I'd, I'd love you to just give us a taste of that. Um, just give us well, an overview. Well, that's based on my <laughs> new book, which will be out at the end of June. And mm -hmm. it is indeed called Population Control. The subtitle really tells the story. Okay. And that is how corporate owners are killing us. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. We uh, are all crammed into these cities that are being racked with air pollution noise pollution, mm -hmm. uh, the whole country is becoming uh, obese. Uh, mm -hmm. The uh, Do you know what the, the first uh, largest cause of death, of course, is heart attacks, and the mm -hmm. second yeah. is stroke? Uh, do you know what the third leading cause of death in the United States today is? Conventional medical treatment. Oh, really? Oh, no way. Really. <laughs> oh, wow. And okay. the thing is, that's and, easy to uh, believe. And then when you start looking at the foods and you start looking at the question of GMOs, mm. yeah. and you start yeah. looking at the bromide that's in bread, and the uh, and then you start looking at these vaccinations. And what's I, I've known about vaccinations for years, so I just don't take them. But the problem is now, now they're talking about mandatory vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, you kind of have to take the needle, and yet it's filled with all kinds of stuff, the thimerosal and uh, uh, formaldehyde, and my God, you wouldn't believe what they use as adjutants in uh, vaccines. And, okay, if people want to take those shots, you know, for one thing, the government's already paid out millions and millions of dollars to children who were damaged by the swine flu. Okay, mm -hmm. and yet, of course, the, the media that counts on so much on the drug ads, they're not going to tell you about all that. Yeah. It's the same thing with one one of the issues that are concerning us so much today are these uh, public shootings and particularly school shootings. Okay, yeah. listen, guys, 
I grew up in, in, in public school in Texas. Mm-hmm. We, we had guns. We took guns to school, okay? Yeah. Nobody shot anybody. Right, right. It's not, the, it's not, but that's all the media can talk about is mm-hmm. guns, 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 because yeah. they will not talk about the true culprit, which is drugs. Right. You know? When, right. When I was in grade Legal school, drugs I was an avid reader, <laughs> and I read faster than most of the other kids, so... When we were in class and we're all supposed to be reading from some chapter, I'd already, I was already two chapters ahead, so I was bored and looking out the window. Okay, well, back, at, uh, back then, the teacher would come around, wrap me on the knuckles, and say, Jimmy, stay with the rest of the class. And I go, okay. Today, they send me to the nurse who's been conditioned to say, well, he's probably has attention deficit disorder, mm-hmm. and they put me on Ritalin or some kind of drug. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Okay. And these drugs, if you actually read the fine print, they bring on homicidal and suicidal mm-hmm. uh, tendencies. Yeah. And, and not only are these school, school kids being subjected to this, but now they're drugging the military. Mm-hmm. That's why over the past few years, the leading cause of death in the U.S. military is not combat, it's suicide. Mm-hmm. And that's brought on because of these psychotropic drugs. Right, right. And now they're telling us that we're going to have be mandatory. You're going to have to take some of this stuff. In fact, they have even actually already broached the the idea of mass uh, psychiatric screening mm-hmm. for school kids. Wow. Yeah, well, he's yeah he's a little frenetic, and you know, and so yeah. we better put him on drugs. It's just incredible. We better start waking up and realizing what's going on in this country, or. We're just going to be down the tubes. You know, and it's funny because I've I've read that argument, you know, the the guy that shot Congresswoman uh, Giffords and, and the Colorado uh-huh. shooter, and they were all, apparently, they were all on, on psychiatric on meds, right? Cho of Virginia Tech, yeah. uh, Columbine, they're right. all on these drugs. But see, the media won't tell you this because the media is too dependent on drug advertising. <laughs> just turn on primetime <laughs> television, and every time a commercial comes mm-hmm. up, if it's not trying to sell you a car or a truck... They're selling you a drug. Yep. Can I point out that until this, well, last year, that was the first time I've ever seen an advert for medication. I I only moved here, you know, a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I had Uh never, I had never seen an ad for medication, never in my life. I I, I didn't even know they existed. Okay, and let me tell you something, let me tell you something. We did not have drug advertising on Mm -hmm. on our media either up until maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. When I was a kid, the the worst drug you saw advertised was Alka-Seltzer, okay? Mm -hmm. They have changed that now, and now almost every other ad is for some kind of drug. And and what kills me is, and then they give you these disclaimers, you know, after they show the (laughs) woman going through the (laughs) field of flowers, they go, may cause indigestion, heart attack, possible death, you know, coronary. May cause you to go (laughs) insane. (laughs) You know, and I go, whoa, whoa, (laughs) who would want any of that? It's scary. Jim, you're going to be at Contact in the Desert, which takes place May 29th through the 31st at Joshua Tree here in Los Angeles, or not Los Angeles, California. Get out there. I would encourage you because... It looks like it's going to be a great event. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to be, like Genevieve said, you're going to be doing electron population control. You're going to be doing a workshop on our occulted history. Uh, and Jim, please, if I may be so so forward as saying, can you please come back on the show? Because this was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, our occulted history. You're going to be doing a workshop on that. And also, you're going to be doing a Monday intensive on our hidden history. This is what people can expect 
Mm-hmm. If they go to contact in the desert and uh, stick That's around right. to, well, to, and to I'm just talk. one of a whole lineup of really top-notch speakers. It looks like it's going to be a great event. Uh, so, yep. Jim, if you would be so kind, maybe it's some, you know, in the near future, maybe you can come back and tell us about our occulted history, which I'm totally fascinated <laughs> with. It, it, it's really, uh, I was reading kind of like the summary of what you were going to be talking about. And uh, I was going to say, it's unfortunate we didn't get to it, but it's not because we got to cover some really, really in-depth mind-blowing information <laughs> yeah. if you ask me yeah. Uh, yeah we did cover a lot of ground tonight we did and, and let me let me just quick sign off by telling you and mm-hmm. particularly your audience i'm not asking anybody to believe me don't believe a word i said okay mm-hmm. but just listen to what i said and then go out and do your own checking your own yeah. thinking and you'll find out that what i told you is true and then you won't have to worry about whether you want to believe me or not you'll know it for yourself True. Very true. Jim Mars, J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S dot com is the website. And as uh, Jim said himself, you can pretty much get his books everywhere. Well, it's a bestseller, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's Jim, I, I can't uh, put into words how grateful I am that you were kind enough to join us tonight for this show and share your wealth of information and research. And that introduction uh, does not do you justice because you are an amazing, amazing person. Walking, I wanna, talking encyclopedia. Yeah, I want to <laughs> thank you sincerely well, like for said, everything. Long time. <laughs> okay, thank you all. We'll do this again sometime. For thank sure. You so thank much. you, Jim. Take it easy. Have a great evening. Good night. Good night. Good night, Jim. Bye bye. That was an amazing, amazing interview. I, I'm I'm always mind blown when I meet people. Well, meet <laughs> for talk. meet talk to you. <laughs> when when I come across people that you you throw anything at them and it's like here's a story, here's yeah. an, an anecdote, and here's just anything. Yeah. Anything, pick a color, and there, yeah, there they go. Yeah, no, uh, uh, Jim. Uh, honestly, what what Robert Perala told us last week is true. If you want to talk to somebody who knows all the ins and out about this oh, stuff, no, talk to Jim Mars. You know, it, it, it's <laughs> it felt like there was enough time. Uh, there, I wish there, there I wish we could have gone there more. Wouldn't be enough time in the world, you know. Go to his website. Listen, he literally has a book for every. <laughs> topic that you could That's possibly be I interested mean, in you like jfk you but like listen, ufos you like this is what i like about jim know. and honestly and maybe i should have said this on the air while he was on it sounds like he's one of the last few of a dying breed of journalists you know the guys that ask the questions the guys that put in the work the guys that stay up you know late at well, night looking is, into this, this stuff. Is something again also i wanted to say at the time but i kind of missed it but uh, the essence, the the purpose of journalism is, I guess, finding out the truth and putting it out there. I mean, that, uh-huh. that's, you wouldn't be a reporter or a journalist if your aim is not getting the information and giving it mm-hmm. to the public, right? That's your purpose. And he's, like he said, it seems like he's one of the few people left Mm-hmm. that has that purpose that goal that motivation in mind because now it's just like i'll put i'll put out whatever people mm-hmm. tell me to i'll write what people tell me to i'll write what's appropriate i'll, I'll write what's politically yeah. correct yeah. and yes there are certain rules you will always have to abide by mm-hmm. there may be certain things you can't tell the public at a given time but don't forget that the purpose is to provide information yeah. for the people <clears throat> and 
I don't feel that that that's a a line of journalism that mm -hmm. people go down nowadays. No, they don't. They don't. They really don't. And definitely check out the website jimmars.com. That's J I M M A R R S dot com. Check out his books. I mean, I'm just going to read you some of these titles real quick before we uh, sign off. The books he has written are Crossfire, The Plot to Kill Kennedy, Our Occulted History, uh, Lost Secrets of the Gods, The Terror Conspiracy Revisited, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, Above Top Secret, The Rise of the Fourth Right, Psy Spies, Ruled by Secrecy. I mean, these are and, and go to his website. Definitely check it out. Alien Agenda, The Sisterhood of the Rose, and of course, JFK, which is the uh, Oliver Stone film. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. Uh, it was, you know, it's considered a landmark film. And it was based on uh, Jim's bestseller, uh, Crossfire, The Plot to Kill Kennedy. So, I mean, Jim Mars definitely is the guy. He knows what he's talking about. And honestly, you can... Uh, I'll say here, you can trust him because to me, it sounds like he's he's on top well, of it. Well, Professor Madness actually said, you know, he sounds a hundred percent honest. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I mean, yeah, okay, you can't judge someone by the way they sound, but it's true. He does. He he sounds like someone who's yeah. telling the truth. Yeah. And most people can tell. I, they just can't. We're all humans, and. We know when someone's lying because we know what it's like to lie. That being said, we would like to talk about our experience tonight uh, with James Picard, but you're going to have to tune in next time when we talk about it because that, <laughs> honestly, an experience is an understatement. <laughs> um, follow James Picard on Twitter, James Picard 333 Tell him we sent you. Um, keep yeah. up with him. <laughs> if he comes anywhere near your town with his exhibit, go check it out. Go, 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 go. That's all I got to say. I don't want to overhype it. I don't want to ruin it. Check out our website, WOTRradio.com. You will see a full review and write-up courtesy of our very own Genevieve Uwe. <laughs> and, uh, and some cool shots. And you'll get an idea, but you definitely want to check it out. Again, I want to thank Jim Mars for being our guest tonight. Amazing, amazing interview. One of our instant classics, in my opinion. And you will find that if you miss any part of it on our website, WOTRradio.com, along with another bunch of great interviews with great guests. Don't forget. Thanks, thanks to Susan. Thanks to Susan for all PRing the help. PRing for Contact in the Desert and for... Um, James Picard's yeah, uh, The Dark the and the Wounded uh, exhibit. And yeah, th honestly, thanks to yeah. her shout out. To Susan. Big shout out. We got to meet her tonight. She's a, a great person. Lady. Yeah. And uh, definitely, uh, like I said, check out contactinthedesert.com if you're going to be in the LA area around May 29th. Check through out the, the website first. anyway. It's, it's cool reading through people's biographies. It's Getting amazing. An get, get an overview even if you're not going. And we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of the guests on this show. So then you can go to wtlradio.com, check the interviews. As always, <laughs> I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter, West of the Rockies on Facebook, Genevieve you way on Twitter. You can check her out Thursday nights at 9 p.m. with her check show. Check her out. <laughs> no added flavors, if you know what I mean. Um, check her out. Follow us on Twitter. It's WOTR Radio on the old uh, Twitter there. So, yeah, uh -huh. support the show. Tell your friends. You know, we. West of the Rockies wouldn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, true. it's true. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. Anywho, uh, we were talking about truth and being honest or whatever. So, we're going to. We're going to go out with this song, Depeche Mode, Policy of Truth. Take care, be safe, capitalists. Don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. We're probably going to be on the other side of the pond next week.
Yeah, no. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, yeah, fingers crossed. Otherwise, we got lost <laughs> somewhere on happened. the way. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we'll continue to bring the uh, West of the Rockies madness to you yeah, from the will. other side. We will try our best. If not, you can do whatever. Slap us on the yeah. wrist. Oh, I was going to say worse things, but I'm like, nope. Don't. Nope. Let's just leave it at a little slap on the wrist. Take care, guys. <laughs> Have a great night. Enjoy this one. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye. Independent FM, Los Angeles.